John chapter 19. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golovka. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was in, written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one place from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots, for to see those whose it shall be. This was fulfilled, the scripture says. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her home to his home. After this, Jesus, knowing that, this all, that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Savior, I come, I quiet my soul, remember, redemption's here, where your blood was spilled, for my
we pray. O oh God, you are known to be the God of grace and the Father of all mercy. You are the God of grace in that you give us things we don't deserve, one blessing on top of another, and our lives are truly blessed because of you. But we also know you as the Father of all mercy, one who does not give us what we do deserve. Father, we confess, we admit, we sin. We fall short of your desires. We don't listen to your word. We go our own way. We do our own thing. And your scripture is so clear that we deserve death. And yet, because you are a father of all mercy, you decided, because of your son Jesus and because of his passion for this world, to take the sins upon himself to grant mercy to those who believe in you. So grant us now the faith to believe, the faith to receive, the faith to live as your children, forgiven, loved, valued, and blessed beyond measure. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Exactly how it's supposed to be. I'm right here. Can you hear my voice? My life, my love, my Lord, my baby boy. As they nail me to this tree, just know the Father.
Father, as humans, the myriad of emotions that run through our heart and mind. We think of your son as that babe that was born in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. And uh, what pure joy, what peace. But as we see his life unfold, as we see his journey to Jerusalem and then to a cross, in many ways we are appalled by what we see. The torment, the torture, the death. And Lord, there is a sense of sorrow and grief. But we thank you that you are a God who will continue to be with us. And you will point us through the storms of life to a sure and certain hope because of your son and because of his resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down wiped our tears away stepped in and saved the day but once again i say amen and it's still raining and as the thunder rolls i barely hear you whisper through the rain i'm with you and as your mercy falls Raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. And I'll praise you in this storm, and I will lift my hands, for you are who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hands, you've never left my side. Though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. Well, I remember when I stumbled in the wind. You heard 
cry to you and raise me up again. But my strength is almost gone. How can I carry on if I can't find you? And as the months As a child growing up, I went to a Lutheran grade school. And one of the things that would happen every single year would be the kids would sing at the noon service for Good Friday. And, and some of you know, I, I didn't go to church much. And when I did, I didn't really understand what was going on. But I remember, it, it, it just, it's so vivid. It seemed like every single Good Friday Somewhere around noon, a little bit after, there would be some kind of storm that would take place. And the connection for me was, wow, it's kind of a stormy day and there's a good Friday and I don't quite understand why it's a good Friday when something bad happens. But now I can look back. And I, I get it more than I 
wait a minute, God, I before. God is with us through the storms of life. Physical storms, emotional storms. And he is so committed to you and to me that he was willing to put his son's life on the line. No greater act of love, no greater expression of passion than what God did about 2,000 years ago. Now, ever since then, and ever since we've had the Gospels, there has been a tradition in the church. And this is worldwide, and it's been over generations, that there would be this reading, this passion reading, where they take the Gospels, kind of wrap them all together, and tell the story of what happened to Jesus. Well, I don't know when it was, but I came across a passion narrative that talks about Jesus and the story. And it grabs from the gospel readings. It's very beautiful. But it adds some other things to it that I'm going to use the phrase that are very plausible, very possible, of what God was thinking as he was letting this unfold about 2,000 years ago. So I'd like to share with you um, what, I'm, what I've told some people. This is a dramatic reading. And so as I go through it, there's going to be moments, and, and I hope I can hold it together, because it's a story like no other story. The love of God our Father through Jesus Christ. There is no story like this. And it's not a fairy tale story. It's a real story about a real God with real people whom he loves dearly. So listen carefully. Watch up on the screen. You're going to see pictures and um, some depictions of what it must have been like or what it could have been like. Then Jesus walks on beyond the city gates. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, Friday. Through the steady rain, Jesus glances up from the base of a rocky hill. It's named Golgotha, the skull. At the top, he sees several posts fixed in the ground. Three of those poles stand ready to receive their crossbeams and the tattered body of Jesus and the two criminals carrying their crosses behind him. At the top of the hill, the merciful centurion hands Jesus a cup. Jesus sniffs the liquid. It's wine mixed with myrrh, a mild narcotic to dull the pain. But Jesus is meant to feel all the pain. So he hands the cup back. This is not the cup of the Father. A soldier now strips Jesus. Again, his back is set on fire as skin tears away with a cloth. Jesus now lays naked in the dirt. The dark man places the crossbeam by Jesus' head. This time, Jesus sees his face. It's Simon of Cyrene. Jesus knows him by name and did before 
there was time. The beam now becomes his pillow. Two men take hold of his hands. The soldier on his left yanks his arm as far as it will go. But the soldier on the right is gentler. Jesus turns to him. It's the merciful centurion again. He picks up a cold spike and places it at Jesus' wrist. Then he picks up a hammer. Their eyes meet. Eternal love shines forth again, and the centurion is undone. He looks away, and he lifts the hammer. In that moment, Jesus hears his own word of power. The word of power that holds the merciful centurion in existence. The word of power that causes the hammer to be. He's speaking it all into being. The soldiers, the priests, the thieves, the friends, the mothers, the brothers, the mob, the wooden beams, the spikes, the thorns, the ground beneath them, and now the dark clouds gathering above. If he ceases to speak, they will cease to be. But he wills. He wills that they remain. So the soldiers live on. And the hammers come crashing down. Jesus is lifted on his crossbeam to the post. He sags, held only by the spikes in his wrist. Jesus designed the median nerves in his arms that are working perfectly now. The pain shoots up those nerves and explodes in his skull as the crossbeam is now set into place. His left foot is now pressed against his right foot. Both feet are extended, toes down, and a spike is driven through, e through the arch of each. His knees are bent. Jesus immediately pushes himself up to relieve the pain in his outstretched arms. He places his full weight on the spikes in his feet. And they tear through the nerves between the metatarsal bones. Splinters from the post pierce his lacerated back, searing, painful agony. Quickly, waves of cramps overtake him, deep, throbbing pain from his head to his toes. He's no longer able to push himself up, and his knees buckle. He's hanging now by his arms. His pectoral muscles are paralyzed, and his intercostals are useless. Jesus can inhale, but he cannot exhale. His compressed heart is struggling to pump blood to his torn tissue. He fights to raise himself in order to breathe and in order to speak. He looks down at the soldiers now gambling for his clothes. He pushes himself up through the violent pain to pray aloud. Father, 
forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Then he sags back into silence. But the crowd is not silent. Though he can barely hear their taunts through the din of his pain, he saved others. Let him save himself. If you're the Christ, come down from the cross. Save yourself, King of the Jews. The criminal on the, um, on the cross to his left joins in on the mockery. But the thief to his right repents. And Jesus pushes himself up to say to him, Truly, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's noon now. The rain falls harder and the clouds blacken. Jesus looks down through wet strands of hair into the familiar face of a woman. A new pain grips him. Greater pain than all the whips and the spikes in the kingdom of Rome. It's his mother. She's sobbing so hard that her breathing is as labored as his. Without words, she looks into his eyes and begs to know why. Why? He longs to hold her and to tell her that it's all for her. He pushes upward and says, woman. Then he looks his friend John in the eyes. John is standing behind her supporting his own weeping mother. He is now your son. And then to John, Jesus murmurs, she is now your mother. Take her away from here. He sags back into silence, back into countless hours of limitless pain. Then Jesus is startled by a foul odor. It isn't the stench of open wounds, it's something else. And it crawls inside him. He looks up to his father. His father looks back, but Jesus doesn't recognize these eyes. They pierce the invisible world with fire and darken the visible sky. And Jesus feels dirty. He hangs between earth and heaven, filthy with human discharge on the outside. And now, filthy with human wickedness on the inside. The Father speaks. Son of man, why have you sinned against me and heaped scorn on my great glory? You are self-sufficient and self-righteous, consumed with yourself and puffed up and selfishly ambitious. You rob me of my glory and worship what's inside of you instead of looking out to the one who created you. You are a greedy, lazy, gluttonous, slanderer, and gossip. You are a lying, conceited, ungrateful, cruel adulterer. You practice sexual immorality. You make pornography, and you fill your mind with vulgarity. You exchange, exchange my truth for a lie and worship the creator creature instead of the creator. Verse 
and so you are given up to your homosexual passions, dressing immodestly, and lusting after what is forbidden. With all your heart, you love perverse pleasure. You hate your brother and murder him with the bullets of anger fired from your own heart. You kill babies for your convenience. You oppress the poor and deal slaves and ignore the needy. You persecute my people. You love money and prestige and honor. You put on a cloak of outward piety, but inside you are filled with dead man's bones. You hypocrite. You are lukewarm and easily enticed by the world. You covet and can't have, so you murder. You are filled with envy and rage and bitterness and unforgiveness. You blame others for your sin and are too proud to even call it sin. You are never slow to speak. And you have a razor tongue that lashes and cuts with its criticism and sinful judgment. Your words do not impart grace. Instead, your mouth is a fountain of condemnation and guilt and obscene talk. You are a false prophet leading people astray. You mock your parents. You have no self-control. You are a betrayer who stu stirs up division and factions. You're a drunkard and a thief. You're an anxious coward. You do not trust me. You blaspheme against me. You are an unsubmissive wife, and you are a lazy, disengaged husband. You file for divorce and crush the parable of my love for the church. You're a pimp and a drug dealer. You practice divination and worship demons. The list of your sin goes on and on and on and on. And I hate, and I hate these things inside of you. I'm filled with disgust and indignation, for your sin consumes me. Now drink the cup. And Jesus does. He drinks for hours. He downs every drop of the scalding liquid of God's own hatred of sin mingled with his white-hot wrath against that sin. That is the Father's cup. Omnipotent hatred and anger for the sins of every generation, past, present, and future. Omnipotent wrath directed at one naked man hanging on a cross. The father can no longer look at his beloved son, his heart's treasure, the mirror image of himself. He looks away. Jesus pushes himself up toward heaven and howls. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Silence. Separation. Jesus whispers, I'm thirsty. And he sags once again. The merciful centurion soaks a sponge in sour wine and lifts it on a reed to Jesus' lips. And the sour wine is the sweetest drink he ever tasted. Jesus pushes himself up again and cries, It is finished. And it is. 
Every sin of every child of God has been laid on Jesus, and he drank the cup of God's wrath bone dry. It's three o'clock, Friday afternoon, and Jesus finds one more surge of strength. He presses his torn feet against the spikes, strengthens his legs, and with one last gasp of air, he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies. The merciful centurion sees Jesus' body fall far forward and his head drop low. He thrusts the spear up behind Jesus' ribs, one more piercing for our transgression, and water and blood flow out of his broken heart. And in that moment, mountains shake, rocks split, veils tear, and tombs open. And the merciful centurion looks up at the lifeless body of Jesus and is filled with awe. He drops to his knees and declares, truly, this man was the Son of God. Mission accomplished. Sacrifice Forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.